0: Who taught you about God was it that grandparent as they were rocking you was it that friend who had a bible study next door every Tuesday and you finally said why is it that you believe in God and they told you was it a life circumstance that made you have that foxhole faith in which all of a sudden you started praying to God Never had a relationship with God before, but all of a sudden, it was necessary. Well, most of us need to be taught about God. And I would like for you to listen to the scripture from Matthew, where Jesus is teaching his disciples and giving them the Great Commission. It's in the last chapter of Matthew, This is after his death and resurrection, and he has already spent three years working with them. And he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, that's just one of the teachings, but there were other times, as you might remember, and it was interesting for me to note that the disciples just didn't automatically know how to pray. They had to be taught how to pray, and in fact, in Luke verse 1, Jesus is praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray.'" And that's when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, which we have just stated. I would invite you to know that the disciples had no knowledge of that personal relationship with God until Jesus came into their life. And Jesus spent three long years every day with these men. And Mark, the gospel writer of Mark, says they never really got it. They never really understood who Jesus was. The author of Matthew had the disciples understanding that he was the son of God from the very first chapter, from his birth. And the book of John, well, the disciples really didn't understand who Jesus was until he was baptized. And some even didn't understand until he was resurrected. So, who you think God is and who you think Jesus is is a point at which you are on a journey with God, learning, gathering information, and then being able to sort through that information to find out what it is that you believe. Many of us were raised in families where we were at the door of the church every time it opened. And in fact, some of us, like me, were raised in pastor families where we lived in glass houses and we had to be perfect and cute all the time. And we rebelled. Oh, I was the good little girl. I always got the pats on the head. My sister wasn't. She got all the fun. (laughs) Yet... In those families of growing up, whether they knew God and went to church or whether they never darkened the door of a church, there was something about them that transmitted by osmosis, just by in their presence. We began to understand, for most of our families, there was a relationship with God, however tenuous it might be. And some of us came from families where God wasn't... A presence at all. I'll never forget having a 13 year old girl come to my youth group one time in Houston and saying, Who is this Jesus you keep talking about? It was her first time to youth group. I thought everybody had heard about Jesus. But her families had made sure that she had never learned anything about God or any religions until she turned 13, and they were taking her to every kind of denomination and faith that they could think of so that she could learn and then make her decision. I always thought that was kind of sad. To be thrown into a situation where you had no knowledge of the language, everything was up in the air. There was nothing, the familiarity, to give strength and maybe an assurance. But I've also heard the stories of people that have been raised in such strict families that religion was browbeaten into them. That it was such a guilt-ridden faith. Such a faith that was wrapped around judgment. That there was an interest in escaping that religion once they got out of the house. And never darkened the door of a church again. And that also is just as sad to me. For we have hurt in the name of trying to give something good. I'll never forget those that taught me. Oh, it started with that grandfather and grandmother and my parents The seminary professor that asked in our last class of seminary, the three-year program, said, who was it that first ordained you as a pastor? My immediate thought was that grandfather who I had leaned against his knees as he rocked, telling the stories of faith and studying them with his fellow Christians in that dog-trot hallway of his farmhouse in Mississippi. The exact moment came vividly to mind. I was eight years old. Why this stuck, I have no idea. He said to me, Jeannie, what did you think that Bible verse said? I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Would you tell me again? So he read it again, and I said, well, I think it means this. And he said, you're right. And he incorporated what I said in the group meeting with the men what did he say to me by that simple exercise? He didn't know what he was doing, but he was literally telling me that as an eight year old girl in a patriarchal society where men were the only ones that went to school and had any smarts, that eight year old girl could think, could learn about God, and had something worthy to say. Then there was Mrs. Bogus my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. I don't remember a word she said. I don't remember one of the stories of the Bible. I just know that she was there every Sunday. I know that she cared enough about her class that she came prepared, and we had a good time at Sunday school. And I learned something about God, about my Bible. I got the Bible from that particular church when I was in the third grade. I meant to bring it this morning and forgot it. That particular Bible has gone through a whole lifetime with me. It's over 50 years old now. I used it in seminary. I used it as a youth. I used it as a parent. And I've used it as a grandparent. That Bible has the stories of faith. The stories about God. Mrs. Bogus made sure I knew them. And then there was Dick Murray, who ended up being one of my professors in seminary, but he was also my sixth grade Sunday school teacher, and then the senior, uh, and senior year high school teacher. And he taught us how to use concordances and dictionaries and how to research the maps and how to find articles about the archaeology of Israel and Egypt and Turkey and follow the journeys of Paul and Jesus He began to show me that there was an intellectual challenge in Bible study. It wasn't just about a belief in God. That I needed to learn as much as I could about this man Jesus and about God. I ran from the call of ministry for 35 years. Oh, it was Mrs. Bogus who told my mother... when I was a fifth grader, that I should be a pastor, but there were no women in ministry then. And I grew up in a household where my father was a pastor, and he was a chauvinist, and he fought me the whole way through seminary. You should be at home taking care of your kids and your husband. And at my ordination, he laid hands on me and said, I'm so glad you listened to God and not me. For God has let me know that women need to be ordained. My father taught me acceptance and love. He taught me to be open to the movement of God no matter where it takes you. Those lessons of faith have sustained me through life through some major traumas who that have helped me cling to something that was intangible to find hope in the midst of despair. I don't know that those teachers had as their purpose to teach me that faith that would sustain, but that's what they did. I don't know that it was their purpose to give me the example of commitment and obedience to God. But that's what they did. I don't know whether it was their purpose to take time to listen to a child to say you're worthy. But that's what they did. Who was it that taught you about God? What did they teach you? Stacy Spencer and I have had the privilege of volunteering and helping with the Sunday School program for the last month. And what I've discovered is something I had forgotten. I did Christian education work for 18 years, and it was always hard to get teachers. I made one time I called 500 people to get one teacher at First Methodist in Houston. That's what the worst of cold calling for you salespeople. <sighs> Nothing, no matter guilt, would work on those folks. <laughs> All they would say is, "This is a big church. Somebody else can do it." Yeah, you can. But when Stacy put out, and Leanne, and Danielle, and Laura put out the call to ask for helpers in Sunday school, we had wonderful response we have 55 teachers in the classroom this summer that's unheard of we had 95 people available and said I will do it in the fall or I will be a substitute I will help in this way or that way you listened and you responded now, I don't know that you heard the purpose. The purpose wasn't babysitting. The person, purpose of having people in the classroom is not to keep them busy and doing arts and craftsy stuff. The purpose is to teach them the scriptures, to teach them the basics of faith, the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, a hug that you're loved, an opportunity to talk about faith in a way that they will be accepted and valued and said, yeah, that's great. Keep thinking that way. You are a theologian. A theologian? I'm only eight. Yeah? Anybody that studies God is a theologian. You are giving value to the individual. But you are also giving value to the relationship with God that each of us needs. God created us in the imago Dei, in the image of God. God wants us to be more Godlike than we are. The Methodists have this wonderful way of understanding grace. We describe it in three different words. Prevenient grace, God's always after us. God's hounding us. God's watching over us, following us, and leading us to a relationship, bringing us to that relationship, whether we're ready for it or not. That prevenient grace, God with us before we're aware. And then God wants us to be in that relationship, but... In order to be in that relationship, we have to acknowledge our own sin and our need of God. Oh, yeah, we're in a society of individuals in which we say we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Thank you very much. We can do it ourselves. We don't need anything else, especially not God. Well, in that justifying grace where we are literally finally knocking at God's door and saying okay I realize I can't do it myself I need you God I need your forgiveness for I am not perfect I have been paying attention to my will and not yours and when we knock on that door Literally, God throws open the door and welcomes us with open arms in which we then can, as we call a Methodist, sanctifying grace, that grace in which we move from the living room of our grandparents' parlor, where everything is kept great for company that might come, back into a relationship with God that takes us to the hot spots of life, the kitchen, where all of the heat of life bubbles up. We enter into a relationship with God that's very tenuous at first, very polite, very reserved, very much like we come to worship in a sanctuary that's prepared for everybody. And then we enter into life with that congregation through small groups and Bible studies, Stephen ministry, Sunday school teaching, etc. And we discover that faith grows and our relationship grows and our knowledge of God grows as we walk on this faith of grace and this path of grace. I want our children to know That God seeks them, that God forgives them, and that God wants to be with them. That God wants a deep, abiding faith, and that God will teach us everything we need to know, just when we need to know it, giving us the words by which to tell it. Listen to this scripture in Luke. Chapter 12, I think it's very interesting that the disciples didn't, remember, didn't uh, know exactly how to tell the story of faith. They were told by Jesus to go out and do it. And I'm sure they were very much like you and me. They were afraid they'd say the wrong thing, give bad theology, or they would create more trouble than they wanted by talking about God. But here's what Jesus said to his disciples I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks the Son of Man, against the Son of Man can be forgiven. Listen to that. Anyone that speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you need I ran from seminary ran from the call and ministry because I was so afraid that I would say the wrong thing 40 years ago if you told me I'd be up here preaching you I would have said you're crazy But I've discovered that it is God who talks through me, through to you. It is God that you hear. Every time I preach, somebody will say, I heard you say. I didn't say that. I went back and looked at my script. I didn't say that, but that's what they heard. God turns the ear to that to which you need to hear. As a teacher, you may feel... Incompetent, unworthy, dumb, stupid. I don't know the Bible. I've never read the Bible. How can I teach? Now, listening to the words of the scripture, we are called to teach and trust that God will give us the words. We are taught as we teach. How many of you have learned about God as teaching someone else about God? Raise your hand. Yeah. All of us started dumb and ignorant. Right? So? So what? Learn. How are you going to teach about God? How are you going to be the one that's remembered holding a child and telling them that God loves you and God forgives you? How are you going to be known as that person of faith? Dick Murray asked us in seminary one time if we knew what we would say to a friend that asked us about God. And he said, I'm going to give you a scenario. I'm going to give it to you. Your neighbor, who you've known for 15 years, asks you to take him to the airport. And on the way, just before you get to the airport, they say, why do you believe in God? Oh, you have five minutes to answer. Well, that eliminates the treatise on the Gospels, that eliminates the whole story of faith. Let me think. What am I going to say? Get your answer. You're going to have a chance to use it someday. Why do you believe in God? And what would you want others to know about God? Do you want God to Be that friend, that forgiving creator, that one that reaches out and holds you, touches you in the midst of struggle, or that one that will forgive you when you've done something that's unforgivable. You are a Christian or you wouldn't be here. God brought you in here. That's called prevenient grace. God wants to save you. And God is going to sanctify you. Let us pray. Dear God, we are grateful for your presence in our life and for the opportunity to learn about you and to witness for you. Help us to be the teacher you have called us to be. Amen.